So Galatians 5, uh, 16 to 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Then we're going to skip across to 1 John 4. Uh, and seven verses seven to twenty one. <clears throat> Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, God is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If, we, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love 
his brother. Amen. Good morning, uh, folks. Um, it's kind of unusual for us to sit in a half-empty building like this. It's a bit weird, isn't it? One thing I did notice, though, when we were singing, we sounded as good as ever. Makes me wonder about the other half, <laughs> the guys who aren't here. What are they doing when we sing? Are they, are they I mean, let, you know, anyway... A few weeks ago, I, I stood here before the whole World Cup thing started, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't overdo anything, not the way I remember it. I, I simply reminded you of 2014, four years ago, and how, uh, just, just to be fair to everybody, I, I give the opportunity at the end of the summer to come and congratulate me at the door uh, on your way out. Um, Four years makes a difference, it turns out. Um, I'll be at the door. Come and commiserate with me on the way out uh, today. Folks, I want, to, I want to thank all of those who were in touch with me immediately after the final whistle went. It was very good of them. Uh, I just I felt the love of the congregation. Um, it was the speed of the responses more than anything that touched me. I think as soon as the referee had, had blown uh, away over there in Russia... People were very, very quick to uh, just comfort me, I, I guess. Um, in some congregations, you know, that, that would be an opportunity for gloating, mocking, that kind of thing. But we're bigger than that at Kirkpatrick. Uh, and I, I just want to, to thank people for that. Uh, one person clearly understood the, the level of trauma that I, I was experiencing. Um, the way I've described it to people, um, nothing in my life time can prepare me for, for something like what's happened in the past week. Um, I said it, it feels like the earth has tilted a little on its axis. Uh, the, the, the earth just shook there on Wednesday evening. So, uh, one text came in, was ist passiert? What has happened? Um, I, I realized the events were beginning to to bring us to new levels of, of cultural sensitivity when I got a text from Brian Nixon, of all people, asking me if I'd experienced much schadenfreude. Now, some of you may not know that word. It's a, a word that's occasionally used in English because we don't have a, an English word for it. Schadenfreude is the joy that you experience from the misfortune of others. Now, I, I haven't experienced any of that. As I say, we're bigger than that uh, as a congregation here. So the silver lining for me in Germany's defeat, Germany's knockout in the World Cup, is the amount of love I have felt from you, from our congregation. Thank you for it. Stephen's already told you, love is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first um, in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a series that we're going to pursue this summer. Uh, taken from the first of the passages we read, Galatians chapter 5. There's a verse there. Uh, don't worry about turning to it because we're actually going to stay in 1 John. If you have your Bibles open, keep them open at 1 John. Um, in Galatians 5:22, Paul gives a list of nine qualities uh, that he says you would expect to see in the life of a person who has the Spirit of Jesus on them. Very quickly, to remind you of a 
couple of things we said two weeks ago when we started this series. It's not a to-do list. Don't look at those nine things, score yourself, and say, right, I want to get better at these nine things. That, that would probably be a wrong way to think of them. Don't think of them as a, a New Testament equivalent, a, a nine replacing the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. Stick with the metaphor itself. How are these qualities described? They're described as fruit. They're something that will grow. Uh, think about it for a second. Fruit is something that you see on a living tree. So Paul's saying that these beautiful qualities are things that we could expect to see where there's life in the tree. These are the qualities God's going to grow in a person who has the life of God in them or the, the spirit of Jesus on them. And, and by the way, that's why we've called this series Becoming Like Jesus. It's about the fruit of the spirit, but we want to tie that immediately to Jesus because the thing the spirit of God most wants to do is to make me and you look more like Jesus. Okay? I finished the sermon a couple of weeks ago with a challenge, and, and maybe, it, maybe it's no harm to throw it back out again. Um, are you ready? Are you willing to consider your character at this point in your life? Are you open to some transformation? God's presence, more of God's presence in you, more of his spirit growing these new qualities in you. Could we pray that God would actually make us more like Jesus this summer? Okay, let's, let's get, get going with this list of qualities then. The first of these is love. Paul starts with love. And actually, that makes sense of Paul's argument in uh, Galatians. Um, he's writing, remember, just, just going to remind you very quickly about Galatians and how it works, what's happening there. He's writing to a bunch of mostly non-Jewish converts in what we would call modern-day Turkey. Paul had visited them before. He'd preached them the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and had started to follow Jesus. But in between times, they'd come under some sort of pressure to move away from their, their simple grasp of the gospel of Jesus Christ because other teachers had shown up and they had said to them that you can't just follow Jesus or, or become a, a member of the family of God by following Jesus Christ, by accepting Jesus as your savior. There's more to it than that. You've got to become circumcised. You've got to start keeping the law of Moses. There are particular ways you've got to obey the Sabbath laws. There's only certain types of food that you can eat. Paul reminds them that that's not true. A person who isn't a Jew doesn't need to be, become a Jew to follow Jesus Christ. So he says, and he reminds them, chapter 5, verse 1 in Galatians, that the gospel is about freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You are free. Don't let anybody take that freedom from you and put laws back on you that you don't need to carry. The question then, if, if that's true, if we relate to God not by laws that we're supposed to keep, the question then is, well, how do we live a good life? How do you avoid sliding into license? How, how, how do we avoid a person saying, yes, I love Jesus, I follow God, but I'm free to do whatever I like? 
Well, Paul in Galatians says, yeah, we're free from the law, we're free from its demands, we're free from trying to please God, but we're free for something. And the thing that we're free for is to live lives of love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in the single command, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't live under the law. We're free from the law. We're free to live lives of love. So the first fruit of God's Spirit will be the fruit of love. Love's first for Paul. Love's first for Paul, and we remember it it was first for Jesus, wasn't it? Um, That lawyer who came to him, what's the most important of the commandments? And Jesus points him actually to two commandments, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul puts love first because Jesus put love first. We're going to spend a few moments today in 1 John, even though we're looking at these fruit of the Spirit and we find them in Galatians chapter 2. I want to explain quickly why we would do that. After spending the time that we've spent a couple of weeks ago and again briefly today, thinking about Galatians, thinking about what Paul's doing in that letter. We're now into a particular verse, chapter 5, verse 22, and it's a list of nine words, and today's word is love. So I have to preach a, ser- I have to preach a sermon on one word. I want to be careful that I don't just make up stuff that seems interesting to me about love. So rather than do that, I want to take you to a biblical writer who talks a lot about love, and that's, that's John, and that's why we read the, the passage from 1 John this morning. If you please have open before you uh, the passage there in 1 John, um, we'll look across a few chapters. So page 1,226, if you're using a Bible in the pew. John's already talked a lot about love in his gospel. So the same guy who wrote the gospel, the story of Jesus recorded in John's gospel, uh, is the same guy who's responsible for these three letters. And John, he focused in on the teaching of Jesus about love. You won't see it in his letter, but here's what he said. John chapter 13, some words of Jesus. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Quite clear, isn't it? Chapter 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Chapter 15, verse 17, this is my command love each other. So whenever he tells us about Jesus teaching, uh, whenever he tells us the story of Jesus, he, he draws our attention. Jesus taught a lot about love. 
Whenever he writes on his own behalf, John wants to talk about love himself, and he goes into a lot of detail. So flick with me very quickly in his book, in his first letter. 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Then, same chapter, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Then verse 23 of the same chapter, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And then chapter 4, verse 11, dear friends, since God first loved us, so we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is complete in us. Paul says love comes first. John says love comes first. They both say that because Jesus said love comes first. When it comes to becoming more like Jesus, there's no other place to start, is there? Love first. We've talked briefly about the importance of love. I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about its effects, particularly in one uh, way. Love is like an evidence. Wherever you see love, it, it speaks of something uh, or things beyond it. Love shows certain things. It shows, one, that there's life, two, that there's faith, and three, that there really is a God giving these people and these communities his extraordinary love. First of all, love shows that there's life. John's letter is famous for these. He uses a, a we know statement. So as he's writing in his letter, he'll say occasionally, we know this. And there's a lot of things in the letter that he wants us to be sure of, but he says we can know, we can and we should know. But probably the most important thing that we could know is that we have eternal life, that we have the real life of God available to us. But how, John, how can we know that we have got that life? Well, says John, you'll see the evidence of God's life in you in the love that you have for one another. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. Chris Wright, um, who wrote a, a wee book that we're using as a framework for this series, he says that Christian love is a matter of life and death. It's as serious as that. What it proves is that we have passed from death to life. Think about it for a second with me. How do you know that a tree is alive? 
you look for buds and then leaves and finally fruit. And that fruit which we see is evidence of something we can't see because you can't really look at a tree and know much about whether it's dead or alive. You have to look for the things that it grows as evidence of the life that's in it that we can't see. How do you know if a Christian's alive? Or a church? You know, they might, might look like a church or might look like Christian people. They might go through some motions and some activities. But it's when there's love that we know that the life of God is there. By the way, it seems important to me to, to think for a second about what love is and isn't in this context. If you're thinking of love in a church, I don't think it means the absence of relational struggles. And there's a reason for that. You see, the opposite of love isn't relational problems. The opposite of love is, is distance and indifference and division. You could be part of a church, it seems to me, where there might rarely or never be problems and there could be no love in the place. Well, how would that be? Well, the truth is, if we keep each other far enough at arm's length, if we take little enough to do with each other, if we have little enough of a shared life together and a vision for how we want to be, then, you know, we'll be fine. We won't fall out with each other. There's nothing to fall out over, really. It seems to me that we could equally be part of a church that has its fair share of, of problems, of relational issues, and yet it could be a truly deep community of love. In a loving church, you see, people are close together. Close, it's a bit like family. Close enough to annoy each other. All right? Close enough to get under each other's skin. But that community can be gracious enough and full of enough of God's love and His kindness and His forgiveness that we accept each other and we keep accepting each other. We have our problems but we trust God to help us through them. So, love for one another shows that we have the life of God within us. Love for one another also shows that we have faith. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 23. Look at what John says there. John tells us there that God's command is to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. Notice what John says there. He says, he talks about one command and then he slips in two things. Now, either he's playing a fly one or he really believes that those two things are the same thing. That you can't have one without the other. That if you do the first, and that is believe in Jesus Christ, then you will automatically do the second, and that is have love for each other. He says if you aren't doing the second, loving one another, then you may not be doing the first after all, no matter how much you think you are. 
Don't try to split them. They're one and the same thing. Believing in Jesus and loving one another is a one. It's one command. So loving one another, it's evidence of the life of God in us. It's evidence of the faith in Jesus Christ which allowed us to receive that life in the first place. This all begs a question for me, by the way. Can you be a loveless disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking, I want to distinguish for a second, there are plenty of nice people around churches. I think nice people tend to like come into places like this. It feels like a place for nice people. That's not what I'm talking about. The world's full of nice people who do or don't have any interest in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about love. The willingness to give ourselves for the best of other people. Over the years, it seems to me that actually, I've just tried to reflect on how churches like this historically have worked. And it seems to me that Presbyterian churches like this have offered people a way of calling themselves disciples of Jesus Christ or his followers without always inviting them to lives of love. So it was possible to be a good Presbyterian without committing yourself to any people in particular. You just come along to Sunday services and you slip off back home. And that was fine. If you're here this morning and you're thinking of life in those terms, I have a question for you. How are you loving brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you sacrificing yourself for other people as Jesus did? What steps are you taking? What measures? How is this fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about today growing in your life? Are you becoming like Jesus? So, just a a last few minutes to close. The love that we have for one another shows life. It shows faith. But finally, it it serves almost as evidence for God himself. Flick with me to one last passage, 1 John 4. And if you look at the second half of verse 8, um, it says there that God is love. That's a truth that's often quoted. It's a truth that almost is universally loved. People love the idea that God is love. Of course we do. And in this passage, we get a sense of what John means by that. He says three important things. He says that God is the source of all love. Look at verse 7. All human love flows from God. He's the source of all true love. God is love. That means that God can't do things that are unloving. God is loving even when, he, when we don't see it as loving or can't understand it as loving. So, for example, when God's angry, that's his love expressing itself, defending itself and people like us from those things that would destroy the world that he's created in love. Love is so fundamental to God's character. Look at verse 8. Whoever doesn't have love doesn't know God. 
because God is love. That's sobering, isn't it? Second, John tells us that God has given us the proof and model of his love. There's a lot of talk in, in our world about love, about people loving each other. But how do we really know that a person really loves? I think intuitively we know by now that you don't listen to their words. A person can say, those words can come easily. But we pay attention to their actions. Do they put their money where their mouth is? God does, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Folks, the ultimate proof of God's love for us is not that he stayed in heaven and shouted down in a loud voice, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's that he uh, released his son whom he loved and he said, son, you go. It's that the son, Jesus, God among us said, yeah, I'll go. I'll give my life for them. Folks, this, this is worth reflecting on for just a second. If you have any doubt at all that you're loved, know that the Father sent his Son for you. Know that the Son came and died for you. Whatever words are said about love, know that those acts were made for you. John says that that's proof of God's love, but it's also a model for us. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And now we're just finally going to wrap this all up. It's only after he said all that that John says what we have been looking towards here this morning, that somehow God's love becomes visible to a watching world in our love. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and God's love is made complete in us. When we love in the way that John's been talking about here, when we love, something, be, something much more than sentimentality, something much more than just connecting well with people who are like us anyway, when we love with the rigor of the love of God, people begin to see God in us. It's amazing. I'm reminded of a young woman who joined our congregation years back now, and she came here in less than ideal circumstances. Um, I'll just say it. Who wants to come to a Presbyterian church pregnant but not married? All right? So she came. And she joined with us at gatherings like this. She worshiped God with us and heard God's word taught. 
And slowly she came closer and closer and closer to the heart of this community. Eventually she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And along the way, I, I was having conversations with her and I asked her, what, what, what happened here? What, what is it that drew you to, to want to be part of a community like this? And she said, well, it was the welcome I received from day one, but it was the love I saw in the people and received for me over the months and years. She saw God's love in your love. And that happens more than once. And that can happen more and more and more when this fruit grows in us, when we become an orchard of love. One last word, a sort of a timely word for where we are in the culture these days. Let's confuse the world with our love. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, at present, our culture isn't very confused about Bible-believing Presbyterians. They're pretty clear that we're among the least loving people in our city and in our society. Let's hold our nerve. Let's continue to love our neighbors and our colleagues as God does. Let's ask Jesus for more of his spirit to love them more and more and better and better. Let's confuse and intrigue them. Let's have people all around us saying, I don't get these guys. I do not understand their values. But they demonstrate a love that I just can't deny. Maybe, just maybe, the God they talk about is real after all. Let's pray. Lord, whenever we take a bit of time to reflect on your love and our love, it's one of those times when we most see our lack. Lord, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say change us, make us more loving. Lord, we, we don't want to try harder to love people. What we want, Lord, is for you to put more of your life in us so that your fruit would grow. Lord, I don't have as much love as I would like, but rather than try harder to love, I just want more of you. Come and fill me up with the things that I don't have so that I can show you to my family and my friends, to this congregation and this community. Lord, we, we just think you're beautiful and we'd love it if you were on display in our lives. Would you come and do that? Thank you. Amen.